Luke 24, 36 to 53. While they were still talking about this, Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands, my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe him, because of their joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And he gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And when he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed there continually at the temple, praising God. Uh, Notre Dame Cathedral uh, caught on fire the past week. And the spire and uh, the roof burned. And uh, most of the building seems to have been saved. And one of the first images I saw of the inside as the sun came through the windows and the roof uh, was that the gold cross seemed to glow in the background. Almost like it was saying, you can destroy the building, but the cross and its message can never be destroyed. That's what's most important. One Frenchman I was listening to about the significance of Notre Dame Cathedral to the French, he said, Notre Dame is my belly button. And I thought, what does that mean? I've never heard anybody say that before. I guess uh, that's a saying in French. It's my belly button. It's, what, it's what's extremely close to me, and it's, it's where we come from. It's our beginning. And I thought about that. Notre Dame is my belly button. Well, the crucifixion and the resurrection is the belly button of the Christian. The beginning of our spiritual life and the sustenance of our spiritual life. And uh, it, is, it is the beginning of our faith, the basis of our faith. And uh, without it, we have no faith. Um, in your bulletin, you have a uh, scripture passage from Luke chapter 24. And I just want to work through it and give you some thoughts on it and then give an application. And this is uh, sometime uh, in the uh, later part of that first Resurrection Sunday. Uh, Luke chapter 24 includes uh, a, an account of the women going to the tomb and finding it empty and going back and telling the disciples, Peter running and finding the tomb empty, and then Jesus appearing to two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, Emmaus about seven miles, 
and uh, so it takes, I would guess, at least an hour and 45 minutes to walk to Emmaus, and finally when they get to Emmaus, they invite him for lunch, and when he prays for lunch, they realize who he is, and then they immediately walk back to Jerusalem, the seven miles, and uh, they show up with the other disciples and say, we have met the Lord Jesus, Uh, he is alive, And that's what brings us to this time uh, in this chapter. As they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. So here they are talking about Jesus being risen from the dead, talking about him appearing to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, talking about him appearing to Mary Magdalene and appearing to Jesus, and suddenly Jesus is standing there in their midst. Uh, I I wrote down, I said, that would freak me out if I was standing and talking with a group of people, and then the person we're talking about all of a sudden shows up. Don't you usually get quiet when that happens? And there's Jesus, and I love what he says. The Greek, Irene Umin, peace to you. Probably what he said was shalom, peace. But it also is a typical greeting. In the English, I would say it means, how you guys doing? Just that typical colloquial colloquial greeting. Good to see you. Uh, Skeptics like to think the resurrection's about hallucinations. There's no way. Or it's about legends. That's the common way to think of it today. It's about legends. It's events that took place so long ago, no one really remembers. Luke writes about 50 years after the event. Matthew, Mark, Luke, all writing, I think, 30 years after, but at the most, 50 years after the event. I would suggest to you that's too short for it to be a legend. It's like talking to somebody about World War II. How many of you here remember World War II? Okay, a number of you. By the way, I like talking to Jenny about World War II and about how the Germans were in Holland and she was a young girl. She was a young girl who looked after the blind. And uh, the Germans came and the Germans actually took the first floor of the institution and the blind and those who worked with the blind then had to move up to to the upper floor. And her father actually crossed the lines, the battle lines, to make sure Jenny was okay. Very dangerous to do. And as, I, as, I, as you listen, as you talk to Jenny about that, you don't go, well, that can't be true. It's more than 50 years ago, right? That's now 70, 80 years. Um, it's not legend. There's no way, uh, there's not enough time for the Gospels to become legends. It's too short after the event. The disciples think they're seeing a spirit or a ghost. That's all their mind can come up with. I love Audrey's song, They Could Not Understand. They couldn't. It can't be a risen person, so their mind, the first place they go to is it must be a ghost, and they're scared. I remember once when I thought I saw a ghost. Terrified me. I thought I saw it down the street, and I was scared. Turned out to be a mailbox. (laughs) And then every time I saw that mailbox after that, I used to think, there you are, ghost. And it's fun to give the disciples a hard time. Jesus told them repeatedly he would rise from the dead after three days. 
And then they find the tomb empty. They know the tomb's empty. They've been told that. Peter, Mary, and two others have talked and met with Jesus. And yet the first time they meet him, they think ghost. And they're scared. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. He asked why they're troubled. They shouldn't be troubled. And the Greek word that is used to say how they are troubled is the same word when they see Jesus walking on the water and they think it's a ghost. And that same word is used here for their shaking. And Jesus says, why? That inner turmoil is inconsistent inconsistent with the reality that Jesus is risen from the dead. The implications of the resurrection is that I never have to be afraid again. Neither do you. But the mind and the heart cannot get there. But it should. And so Jesus shows his hands and his feet. Look at me and touch me. The intimacy of it I love. Here's my hands and my feet. And I think you can still, still see the scars from the cross. I suspect that when we get to heaven... We have our glorified bodies. We will have no more scars. My nose will be the right size, and my curly hair will be straight. When I was younger, I hated curly hair. Now I love it. But Jesus won't have that. He will still have those scars. You will see it in his hands and his feet. I think that because the book of Revelation that talks about the future talks about Jesus looking as the lamb who was slain. And if seeing is believing, then touching is even more believing. And so there they are touching his hands. And I love the the comradeship that Jesus, the risen Jesus, the glorious Jesus still has with his followers. He's not too good for them. He loves them. Verse 41, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish And he took it and ate it before them. They disbelieved for joy. So joyous, you can't believe that it's true. It's like the first time you find out that the gospel means your sins can be forgiven and you just believe in Jesus Christ and you don't have to earn it. You almost disbelieve it. Can't be that easy. There was a time years ago the RCMP phoned us, and they said, hi, this is the RCMP in Toronto. Is this where Peter lives? And Peter was in grade five. And we go, what in the world? Does Peter Ben live at this address? And we said, well, yeah, Peter lives here. Um, What's going on? And he said, well, I was an RCMP officer, and I was stationed in Sarnia, and uh, Peter's name came up with a phone number. And I recognized it as a Sarnia phone number. And apparently what had happened is there had been a draw for a go-kart across Ontario. And Peter had just put down his first name. (laughs) Peter and his phone number. No address. And the RCMP officer saw the number and he goes, that's a Sarnia number. I know that. And so he phoned us to tell us that we won a go-kart. Peter won a go-kart. And you almost can't believe it's true. This has got to be some kind of a hoax, right? When does the RCMP call you to tell you you've won a go-kart? 
I didn't believe it till we actually went out to Grogan Ford in Watford and we were given a go-kart. You almost can't believe it. They're so good. And that's where the disciples are. They can't believe it from the joy, from complete dismay and sadness to a world that has been rocked and upset to he's alive. And Jesus eats with them. And it proves a lot of things. First of all, I said it, it proves that resurrected bodies can still eat food. I'm excited about that. Except everything now is non-fattening. But when I'm resurrected, I want something better than broiled fish. However, snapper, that's hard to beat. It shows us, though, that Jesus really has a physical body. If he was just the spirit, I would expect the food to go in and just drop on the floor. Uh, it doesn't. But I'm also excited because friends eat together. And friends have coffee together. And so when Jesus shows up in their midst, they eat together. Looking forward to that. Verse 44. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Come on, guys. I've already told you this. Everything written about me must be fulfilled. It's interesting how Luke puts this, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Today, the Hebrew Bible, the Bible used by the Jews, is called the Tanakh. The T stands for Torah. The N, Nevi'im, for prophets. And the K for Kethavim, the writings. The law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And all of them are about Jesus Christ. Strange, right? All of them. It's all about Jesus Christ. Let me give you three ways. Three big ways the, the entire Old Testament's about Jesus. First of all, Genesis chapter 12. God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. In you all the families of the earth will be blessed. How will all families of the earth be blessed by Abraham and his descendants? Because of Jesus Christ. Every single person on the planet is blessed because Jesus Christ was a Jew. Um, I read a couple of months ago that the story of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is unique in world literature. There's nothing else in world literature from that long ago that follows a family and gives you an extended family history for a number of generations. And there's a reason why that's been so important. It's because it's about Jesus Christ. Or here's another passage in the Old Testament. A, and it's a broad idea that runs across the Bible. The Lord talks to Nathan the prophet. And he says, your house and your kingdom will be made sure forever before me your throne shall be established forever. A promise to David that he would have a descendant forever who reigns. And that runs across the Old Testament. And it's fulfilled by Jesus Christ. That scripture written 700 years ago is true for all time. And Jesus Christ will sit on that throne. One third way, I didn't even put it in my notes, but a third broad way that Jesus Christ fulfills all of Scripture is the whole idea of sacrifice. That you would take an animal 
and you would shed its blood, and that shed blood would cover your sins. Well, let me tell you, a shed animal's blood doesn't really cover your sins. It is pointing to Jesus Christ, the very Son of God who would give up his life, and that infinite sacrifice has infinite worth to cover your sin. And sacrifice is all across the Bible. I think those are some of the things that he says when he talks about all of the Bible referring to me. That's what he's talking about. Then verse 45, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. They could not understand. That was the song. And so he had to do something spectacular. We have a natural disinclination toward the Word of God. We don't understand it because we don't value it. Sometimes it's very hard to get it, and then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit applies it to our life, and it makes sense. And he said to them, thus it's written, that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead. That's the heart of the gospel. There's our belly button. Christ should suffer, and on the third day, rise from the dead. And the implication, verse 47, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So this morning, what does Easter mean? You should repent of your sin. Repent. Say to the Lord, I understand I'm in rebellion against you. I have broken your law, but I want forgiveness. Now, some of us have already done that. Well, then the rest is for us. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. All nations. We have tremendous privilege in the days that we live in. All the nations are very close to us. Not only is it easy to go around the world, but all the world is very close to us. And coming even to Sarnia, amazing, you are witnesses of these things. I want to finish with what this implication means for you. One of my favorite scripture passages is Romans 10. I have read this many times with someone who wants to give their life to Christ. Let me read and explain. Verse 6. The righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. I think what that means is I don't have to do anything spectacular. I don't have to ascend to heaven and bring Christ down, and I don't have to go up from the dead and bring him up. I don't have to do spectacular things. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. It's so close and easy to be saved. All you have to do is use your mouth and use your heart. The next verse. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's, all, it's available to you right now and it's easy. Use your mouth and use your heart. And with your mouth you say, Jesus is Lord. And with your heart you believe God raised him from the dead. And those two things go together. The resurrection means he is the Lord. And he's the Lord because he came up from the tomb. And of course, this doesn't just mean, 
okay, I said Jesus is Lord, and I believe he raised from the dead. I'm saved. That's like believing facts. He's the Lord, and he's resurrected. Whether you believe it or not, or whether you think it's true or not, those are, just, those are simply facts. But you now have to say, this is me. Jesus is my Lord. He's my Lord. That's what that means when you say, Jesus is Lord. He's my Lord. For with the heart one believes and is justified, declared righteous. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You'll never lose believing in Jesus. And verse 12, I used to think this was a throwaway verse. Now I love this verse. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Do you want to have riches? I don't mean money. But you want to have the good favor of God and all the blessing of God? All you have to do is call on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful verse. He gives to all without distinction. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the implication of the resurrection. Today you can be part of his family, sins forgiven, saved. How? Just by calling on the name of Jesus. That's exciting. And it's near you, in your mouth and in your heart.